I think the first place that we probably ever discover how to control someone or, or at least what that might look like is, is uh, from our parents when we're little kids, right? That's the first place control is really introduced with the discipline uh, and uh, trying to get young kids to do exactly what mom and dad want them to do. And I know I grew up with uh, two younger brothers, and so the three of us, we were more than a handful for our mom and dad, I'm sure, lots of discipline in the hall household, and I always accredit that to, you know, we were preacher's kids, but we had to play with the elder's kids, which is why we were trouble. That's, that's how that all works out. I'm certain of it. Uh, but, you know, you're driving down the road, and, and, and as, as guys grow, as kids grow, you're in the back seat, and you've got your own space, and you don't want your brother in your space. You know, he's touching my knee, he's in my space, he's getting my candy, and pretty soon dad asked that question. And as an adult, I reflected on that question and wondered, what if I had actually answered that question? When dad says, do you want me to pull this car over? And I thought as an adult, what if I'd actually said, sure, let's pull the car over? I'm sure I wouldn't have remembered the rest of that day. However, our, our parents model for us what that looks like, and so we carry that uh, ability to discipline and try to control into our, our adulthood, and then we become parents too, and we try it out on our kids uh, as well. I remember the first time that I saw this come to fruition uh, for Robin and I. We uh, have two boys, and when Tanner was very young, our, our oldest, he had a Simba doll that he always took to bed with him. That's carried Simba around all the time. And I remember we were, he was putting Simba to bed to take a nap. And so he goes into his room, he's got the twin bed, and he tucks Simba in, and he's, he's whispering to Simba, I love you. You're mine. He's quietly closing the door, and Mom and I are going, we got it right. He's, look at what he's, he's mimicking us. And two seconds later, he opens the door, and he says, I said to be quiet, lay down, don't say another word, slams the door. We both are wide-eyed thinking, maybe we didn't get it right, I'm not sure. But, you know, we, we try to, at times, control people as we work into our adulthood. And that could be in the workplace, it could be family, could be our neighbors, could be uh, our immediate family with our kids, our spouse, lots of different ways that we, we kind of see that fleshed out. The book I wrote, uh, Beautiful Interference, is all based on what Jesus says are the two most important commands. From Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love everyone around you just like you love yourself. But if you're anything like me, there are people who are more difficult to love that are in your life, right? Not everybody is all the same. We call those folks EGRs, extra grace required, right? <laughs> and so we have those people in our life, and so we asked the question this morning, how do we love difficult people in our life? How do we love on them? And so as we enter into this new series called The Art of Being Unordinary, what we want to do over these next three weeks is really unpack some of the story of Jesus to discover how in the world did he love people who were difficult in his life? Because that's the kind of love we're called into, this unordinary way of handling relationships and people. Not the ordinary way that the world does it. We don't want to have a part of that, but we want to live in the life that we've been called to in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? We want to be a part of what he's called us to. And so over the next three weeks, today we're going to take a look at controlling people, not how we control them, but people in our lives that might be somewhat controlling 
Next week, we're going to look at critical people, people who are critical of who you are, what you stand for, those kind of things. And finally, we're going to unpack the, the needy people in your life as well. So you'll want to miss, not want to miss uh, these next three weeks as we're together. Uh, we'll have Father's Day in there uh, as, as well. Kel's going to preach that particular Sunday. But how, how do we love people who at times seem to suck the life out of us? They're just hard to love. How many of you know someone in your life that is controlling? Raise your hand. Don't make me do this on my own. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no doubt many of us have probably been hurt by controlling people somewhere along the way in your life. And sometimes those folks are in authority positions in your life. Could be your parent, could be a boss, could be a grand, grandparent, any number of folks that are kind of in that authority position. But most times it is not malicious. Most times they may not even realize that they're doing it, and often it comes and stems from their insecurities that they have in life. They're trying to control things because they're insecure about who they are and what they need to be doing. And sometimes these folks can be an emotional black hole, can't they? I mean, you pour into them, you give to them, you kind of acquiesce, and you, you, you come to meet them where they are, but it just is never quite enough, is it? You know those folks in your life that kind of, that's a, that's a great definition of maybe where they're at. And for some folks, when they don't get their way in your life, you've seen them pout, you've seen them stomp around, you've seen them cry and complain. Sometimes they give you the silent treatment. And often, as you're talking with someone else about the relationship, you both realize, you know, we kind of have to walk on eggshells around them. We're not exactly sure what the day is going to bring when they are around. How do we love on people that try to control us. Well, there are two weapons that controllers typically try to use, and one is threats, the other is guilt. Threats and guilt. Now, in first service, I had threats misspelled on the slide, and it said treats. <laughs> Maybe they give you treats, I don't know, could be. But threats and guilt. How do those threats kind of manifest themselves in conversation? Sometimes it could look like this. Well, you better do this or there's going to be something to pay down the line. You better perform or there's going to be pay for that non-performance later on down the line. That's the kind of threat mode. And maybe you've kind of felt some of these examples I'm about to give. For instance, maybe a boyfriend in a relationship you had some years ago said, look, I'd love for our relationship to be a little more physical, and if it's not, then we're breaking up and I'm moving on, that kind of threat. Maybe it was from your boss, and you've got a full load of work already. He puts more on your desk with the implication, if you don't get all of this done, I'm not sure that you're going to have a job at the end of the week. That's a threat. Or maybe even from your spouse in your marriage. They want things done a certain way, and there's always maybe talk just undertones of leaving or maybe even divorce if I don't get things looking just like this. Folks who try to control can use threats in your life to, to make you see things their way. The other way is guilt. So maybe they might say something like, you know, after all I've done for you, 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 you can't do this one thing for me? Or maybe they kind of say, you know, I, I thought you loved me. Or maybe something like, well, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. 
And they kind of heap this guilt on you just a little bit to get you to come all the way to where they're at so, th- so that you'll do what they want you to do. How do we as followers of Jesus Christ love on people who either intentionally or unintentionally try to control who we are and our direction in life and where we find ourselves? Our text this morning is in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn with me there. That's where we're going to be all day long. Well, all morning long. I won't keep here all day. Yeah, this is a 15-hour sermon series. Uh, The text will be on the screen as well. But I want to set up the text before we actually get to the heart of the text that I want to use today as we talk about people who try to control us in life. How does Jesus interact in those moments where we see that come into his own ministry? Now, at the front end of Matthew chapter 16, there's an interesting story that happens with Jesus and his disciples. They are in Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, there was a lot of pagan worship that was going on uh, located outside the city was this large cave that most in their day and age would say was the entryway or the gates of Hades. That's how you got to the underworld. And you can go there today. That cave is still there in existence. You can see all the chiseled out places on the rocks where they used to have pagan idols that were were worshipped. And Jesus and his disciples find themselves standing outside this location. And Jesus asked this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And disciples begin to vocalize back to him and say, well, some say that you're Elijah. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say, and they begin naming different prophets. And then Jesus turns to question around and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, right off the bat, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that moment is this crescendo of ministry. Jesus has been acknowledged by his disciples as for who he really, really is. And so we set the stage for our text by by leading us to this moment where Jesus is pronounced the Son of God by the people who are following him. Peter's the first one to ring that out. And Jesus and Peter are the ones who are going to have an issue in the text we're going to look at today later in Matthew chapter 16. Take a look at verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priest, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. That's what controllers like to do in your life, don't they? They try to isolate. It's exactly what Peter does to Jesus, pulls him off to the side because I only want you to hear my voice. I only want you to look into my eyes. I don't want anyone else interrupting while I try to tell you how things are really going to be. And so in our text, how does Jesus address Peter's manipulation of the story? Let's take a look. Verse 23. Jesus then turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. But then Jesus turns to all the disciples and he tells them, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. That means the way things you, you, want, you want them to be. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake... 
you will save it. Now, if you've got your own Bible, those two verses are paramount in discipleship. If you've got your own Bible, I want you to mark that. Circle it, underline it, draw arrows to it. Whatever you need to do, it looks like that in my Bible too. They are paramount if you want to follow Jesus. So important for you and I to realize we've got to give up what we want and take on the will of God, don't we? That's what we're called to do. So how do we love on people who want to control us in our life? And we're going to unpack all three of these weeks by digging into the life of Jesus and discover how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus love on difficult people in his life? And the very first idea is one we're going to go back to the series we just finished, and it's this. Know what you are called to do. Know what you're called to do. Remember, the series we just finished with was about God's calling in your life. And so we have to remember that it's who you are before what you do. The calling that Jesus has for each and every one of us is who you are before what you do. And Jesus knew exactly why God had sent him to earth. There was no question about Jesus and his knowledge of what his purpose was, what his calling was. He says over and over in his ministry, I have come to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus is very clear on his purpose and his calling. Calling is so necessary for you and I to fully understand in our life. What are we called into? What's God calling us into? And that calling is really about all those people that you touch every single day of your life. It's more than just a job title. It's more than just some kind of relational title. It's about how we're called to live. And we were reminded that Paul tells us in Ephesians Chapter 4, God's done all of this for you. Therefore, live a life worthy of your calling. I feel like I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a church leader. However, in that context, I'm called to live those out, how God's called me to live, that set-apart, holy life, that life that's just totally dedicated to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to live into while I work my job. You remember Colossians chapter 3? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's what we're called to live. But I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. Those would be true titles for me. However, I'm called to live that holy set-apart lifestyle while I'm carrying those titles. I can be those things, but also not living into my calling if I'm not living out that holy life. That's how we're called to live each and every day. And the problem is that some of us are people pleasers. I am a people pleaser. Raise your hand if you're with me. You're a people pleaser and you know it. Yeah, several of us in here. It's difficult because we don't like conflict. We want everyone to get along. We want to we be friends with everyone. We just want to all be happy and go get some ice cream, right? Sure. The problem with people pleasing, though, is it's idolatry. Because you wrongly put other people's opinions ahead of God's calling for you in your life. That's more important. See, when, when you know what you're called to, it creates clarity in your life. When you realize how God's called you to live, nothing can distract you from that, just like Jesus in our text. He knew his purpose. He knew his calling. And he was not going to be moved off of that at all. So what does... What does every controlling person have in common? Someone who allows it. Every single one. 
So clarifying your calling is so incredibly important. So we ask the question as we leave this point, we ask the question, what is God calling you to right now in your life? What's the one thing that you feel at your age, at your location, where you're at in your context, what is the one thing that God's calling you to listen closely to the Holy Spirit speaking into your life? Because that's what you should be moving toward, not other people's opinions necessarily. Now, can the two even out? Can the two coincide? Absolutely. But sometimes they don't, which leads us to our second point. Know when someone is trying to control you. It's what's happening in our story with Jesus and Peter. Peter knows exactly what he wants to do. Jesus knows exactly his calling. He knows what God is calling him to do. He's called to go to Jerusalem. He's going to endure some suffering. He's going to be killed, but then he's going to conquer death on the third day. And all of that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. He understands that's his calling. But in our text, Peter says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that over my dead body. That's just not going to happen. Now, was Peter the worst guy to ever live? No. Did Peter love Jesus? Yes. Was it his intent to distract Jesus from his big plan? No. I mean, he was a great guy that loved Jesus with all of his heart. I mean, just moments before, in chapter 16, Peter had won Jesus' jeopardy. Jesus said, who, who am I? And he said, you're Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And he had been affirmed in that. But in the very next moment, he was putting his own plans ahead of God's plans. So you have to understand what your calling is, number one, and then recognize when someone's trying to control you and get you off the path that God has you on. And sometimes it leads to the point of, of number three, which is the most difficult one. Know when to draw a line in the sand. Know when to say enough is enough. It's exactly what Jesus does in verse 23. Let's look back at that again. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. He's pointing out, look, Peter, I get that you love me and you want to protect me, but that's not God's plan. You're trying to see things through human eyes, and I'm looking at it through the eyes of God. Now, work with me just a minute here. What if Jesus, this would never be true, but what if Jesus was codependent? What if he felt his identity and everything was wrapped up in those 12 guys? He knows he's leaving, going back to heaven, and so the church is really resting on these 12 guys, and so I need to coddle them a little bit, I need to listen to them, lean into them a little bit. And Peter comes and says, no, 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 that's, that's not what we're doing. And if you don't do what I really want you to do, Jesus, then I may not follow you anymore. I may unfriend you on social media. I may give you the silent treatment. You see, if Jesus gives in to someone else, that means someone else is leading him, not God. And you and I have to figure that out in our relationships as well. We need to know our calling. And when someone is trying to control us, if there's someone in your life that you really care for, but they're calling you to idolize their opinion and what they think, and it's not what God's calling you to do, it's time to draw a line in the sand. And it's a really hard thing to do with people that you care for, people that you love deeply. 
So what do we do when we feel that we're having this unhealthy dance with relationships in our life, with people in our life that, that we do care for? I want to give you a couple things that might kind of be somewhat freeing for you as we come to the close of our time this morning. First of all, I want to remind all of us that the relationships that we have are a combination of what we have created and what we've allowed. Every single relationship that we have in our life are ones that we've created and the way they are is what we've allowed. You think about your relationship with your mom and dad. Think about your relationship with your siblings, with your spouse, with your boss, your coworker, a friend group, your next door neighbor. Every relationship you have have been relationships that we've created and some things that we have allowed. So if you don't like the way a relationship is going in your life, if you think it's a little bit too controlling, if you don't like what you have, then change what you expect and what you accept. Change what you expect and what you accept. Jesus had applauded Peter earlier in Matthew 16 by getting it right. Yes, I am the son of the living God. I am the Christ. But just a few moments later, he pulls Peter aside and he says, listen, I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. It's not appropriate to what, what you've said, what you're trying to get me to do. Something different than the will of God. And in your own life, you may need to have some of those difficult conversations with people that you care for, people you love. And some of those conversations might, might start off like this. You know, I care about you a lot but I'm not going to let you talk to me like that ever again. Our relationship is too important to let this continue. You might say something like, you know, I, I love you so very much, but I'm not going to bail you out again. I know we've done it a time or two, but this is it. I'm not bailing you out again, and it's because that I love you. Maybe say something like, I will consistently express my love for you, but we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior while you're in my house. It's just not going to fly anymore. I, I love you dearly, but, but I'm not going to let you yell at me as we have interaction, even when we disagree on a subject matter. We're going to have to learn how to talk it out like mature Christians and mature adults. Maybe something like, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to own the guilt that you keep trying to place on me for the problems in our relationship. Now, what do you... What do you think is going to happen when you vocalize that in the relationship that you're working on trying to make better? Well, most of the time, the controller is going to rear up, uh, they're going to get louder, and they're going to double down on their threat. Guys, this is the hardest part of this moment. You've got to stick to your guns. You know how God's called you into relationship, and you know what doesn't look very Holy Spirit-driven. And so calling people back to task is a hard, hard thing to do. It's a tough moment because you know in the end they're hurting and because we care for them, we're hurting too. But let me tell you what hurts more, living every single day in a dysfunctional relationship. That's even worse. Love them enough to know when to say enough is enough. Know when to say no more. Because when you realize that you no longer have the power for control, that that is God's, everything will change. 
Things will begin to change when you recognize the only way to change other people is through the Holy Spirit. The only way to change other people is through God. I can be a tool in that process, but it's not up to me to make the change. It's up to the Holy Spirit to make the change. That's why Jesus says as he turns to all the disciples in verses 24 and 25, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Essentially what Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you will never be in control again. Well, that's scary for us that like to be in control, isn't it? Why is it important? Because when we try to take control, then we're trying to play God in our relationships. And it's so important to let the Holy Spirit and God's power work in our relationships. And so this morning is really, as we launch this series, a call to surrender. It's to say that you and I, every single day, will examine our relationships and recognize the most important thing is the calling that we receive from God to live a set-apart, holy lifestyle that's unto Him. And we want every relationship to reflect that. And so it's a call for us to maybe do some hard things in some of the relationships that we do have. Now, some of you here this morning, maybe joining us online, you've always decided, I'm going to take care of this on my own. You've never said yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never been baptized into his name, and you find it difficult day in and day out with your relationships because you're trying to do it on your own power. The call this morning is that you would surrender to Jesus Christ. You should be baptized into his name, that you would take on the Holy Spirit and let his power change your life forever. It's in him that we'll find peace and the life that God wants to give us through his son, Jesus Christ. Or maybe some of us here at one time have said yes to Jesus. We've got relationships that we've tried to mend along the way, and it's time to get rid of the guilt. It's time to move forward in some of those relationships. And so I want to challenge you as we sing this next song, you'd find one of our shepherd couples here around this room, and let them lay hands on you, pray for you, pray over you, that you would have the courage And be encouraged to do the right things in your relationships, to love on those people who are difficult to love. And sometimes that means a hard conversation. May God be with you as you think through what we've talked about today, as you lean into how the Holy Spirit's going to move you to do some great, powerful things in the relationships that you do have. I want to close this out with a word of prayer. Let's all be standing together and we'll sing our song right after prayer. Father, this morning we come to you on bended knee, first of all, acknowledging that you are an incredible God. You are an amazing God. And God, we celebrate you every day of our life. We're so glad that you sent your son Jesus for us. And God, my prayer is that for all of us, you would give us encouragement and courage to live life out how you've called us to live. And I pray, God, if there are are conversations that need need to be uh, happening in this room, that, God, you would place upon us the ability to to get together as mature Christians and, and talk about those things, that our desire would be that your Holy Spirit would work in all of our areas of life. God, we love you. We give all this to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.